but Philippians chapter 1 uh, is where we're at today. And um, just a little background, Paul is writing a letter to a church in the city of Philippi. So Philippi, this city got its name from way back under when, when Greek ruled and Alexander the Great. They name it after uh, Philip of Macedonia, after Alexander the Great's father. That's how the city got its name. That wasn't when the city originated, but that's how that city, it was named, and then it carried that name. So now at the time of this writing, it's under Roman rule. Uh, the Roman Empire, right, has conquered the known world. They're in, in control. And so this, this um, city of Philippi, this area of Philippi, this Roman colony here, is Paul starts a church. Paul's away from them, but he's writing a letter to them. And this is uh, what we're going to be studying today. And we believe that, that what we have, this is, yes, a letter by a real person, um, by the name of Paul, who really did exist. And he wrote a letter to a real church in the city of, of Philippi. But this was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That means God breathed it. God gave him the words to write. And though this was, there's a specific context to a specific group of people we know this was written for us, that this is theonoustos, it is God-breathed, and it's written for our learning, for our application, that we can trust the Bible that we have, and this applies to us today. So this church was founded by Paul. So Paul and, and, uh, Paul and Silas, they roll into town, and this is about 15 years before, they roll into town, and they're going to preach. Paul, just, he'll show up to places and preach. And it's usually either a revival or a riot. And Paul seems like he's okay with either one. Like, Paul's a pretty tough dude, right? Paul has been in prison. Paul's taken beatings. Paul is, this guy's no joke, right? And it's, it's all for the cause of Christ. Paul's, it's not like he's suffering for doing evil doing, right? He's faithful at proclaiming the truth of God's word. So Paul and Silas roll into town. There's a women's Bible study taking place. And Lydia is a, a, a pretty well-established, well-to-do woman. And she has her own business. She's, she makes clothes with different dyes. The Bible says she's a seller of purple. This means like she, she had her own business. She had dyes and she would, would, would sell uh, different clothing and items of that nature. And so she's pretty established. Businesswoman. And yet God draws her and speaks to her and she comes to be a believer in Christ, whether it was already a believer and it was solidified when Paul did Bible study with her or that she truly just grasped it when they were having this Bible study. Nevertheless, this, this woman is one of the first believers here in Philippi. Well, there's another believer and we read all this in Acts chapter 16, but in Acts chapter 16, we see the founding of this church. It's it's Lydia. And then there's this demon-possessed slave girl who's following Paul around and, and really just kind of taunting him. And this demon's controlling her and, 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 and following Paul and saying, these are the servants of the Most High God. And, but yet it's kind of in, in a mockery type way. And so Paul finally is fed up with it. He performs an exorcism, casts the demon out of this young girl in the name of the Lord. And we then have reason to believe she became a believer. Well, her masters were not happy because she made them money. She was somewhat of like a fortune teller. So they complained to the authorities. They get Paul beaten and arrested. So Paul and Silas are thrown into a prison there in Philippi. And what do they do? They're rejoicing. 
They're praising God. They're proclaiming the gospel. I don't know that that would be my response. I really don't. Like, I hope God give me that boldness, right? Give me that resolve that I would be willing to suffer any of those things. Prison, being beaten up. Eventually, Paul was going to be martyred because he wouldn't shut up. They, Nero cut his head off. That was the only way he could shut him up. And that still didn't work because we, today, 2,000 years later, have inspired scripture that God used Paul to write. But man, yet Paul just has this resolve for God. God, give me that resolve. I don't have that kind of resolve, but I want that. I desire that. So Paul's in prison. Paul and Silas, they're praising God. They're singing. And then there's this earthquake that comes that breaks free of their chains. So there's a jailer, a prison guard who's there. And he thinks, man, this is, I'm done. Like if, if, if these prisoners escape on my watch, I'm going to die. And I'm going to die a slow death because that was the punishment for letting prisoners escape. That's what they did. That, they didn't want people to escape. And so it's like their life for yours. He's about ready to take his life. Paul calls out and he says, don't harm yourself. We're here. And the jailer apparently had heard them preaching all night because he says, what must I do to be saved? And this, this jailer, this prison guard comes to faith in Christ, takes Paul and Silas into his home, ministers to them, cares for them. His whole family becomes believers. This is the start of the church at Philippi. And not only is this what happened, this is what happens. This is what is happening. That God, the power of the gospel will save anybody that believes. That's what Romans 1 says. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And you see just different backgrounds. You've got a woman who's a business owner. She's well established, probably doing pretty well in the community. Yet she has a need of salvation. She has a need of the gospel. You've got a demon-possessed girl. A girl who literally is living on the street. She's a slave. She, she has been, you know, we would look at as one of the outcasts of society. And yet, the gospel is for her. And she comes to faith in Christ. And is saved. We at least assume that after Paul casts this demon out of her. And then you've got... This hardened, tough, tough prison guard, right? Just the kind of guy I envision this, that nothing really phases him because he's seen a lot. He's seen it all, you know, probably just horrendous things. Nothing going to get to him. And yet he breaks down. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And this prison guard becomes a believer. His family becomes believers. They're then baptized and they are believers. This is the start of this church at Philippi. Fast forward now, 15, 20 years later, Paul's writing to them. Now the whole theme of Philippians is joy in Christ, right? Paul says, oh, I thank God upon every remembrance of you all. Honestly, if I went through that um, to start Crosspoint, if the starting of Crosspoint ended up me getting beaten up, thrown into a prison for a while, I think I would look back with not the greatest memories. Like a little PTSD would be kicking in. Like I'm not thinking that's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Yet Paul is rejoicing. He's thanking God for this church. Now Paul right now when he's writing this, he's not in the best circumstances again. He's in the palace, so not the worst place, but he's under arrest. He's probably chained to a, a guard, probably more like a house arrest or like a minimum security type 
situation. So again, not as bad as what he's been through, but still he's not free. He's, he's captive. But yet he's writing to this church and he finds such joy in what God is doing in this church at Philippi. And he writes them, he says, Paul and Timothy or Timotheus, the servant of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. I love this. This is one of Paul's favorite titles that he gives to himself is a servant. Now, Paul's done a lot at this point. This is later in Paul's ministry. I mean, he's planted a few churches. He's seen a few converts. I mean, he suffered for the name of Christ. Paul's seen some pretty amazing miracles. Paul has performed some miracles. And yet, Paul says, my title, I want you to look at me as a servant. Man, may we have this mentality, amen? May we have this, may we recognize this. We're just servants of Christ. There's nothing special about us, but what, but what God has done in us and through us. I'm proposing that the celebrity style Christianity, the celebrity style pastors have been a great disservice to the church. It has not been good for, for the church. Now, if God gives people a great platform, amen, praise God. You know, pray they use it for the glory of God. But to seek status, to seek recognition, to seek fame, to, 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 to seek to have that applause, that's not what a true servant of Christ should seek, right? It should be all about the glory of God. Paul views himself as a servant. To all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So there's bishops or there's, this is another term for a pastor. There's pastors, there's deacons, all the saints. Some things have happened in Philippi since Paul left. This church is growing where they have to have multiple pastors. This church is growing where they have to have deacons to help care for the needs of the church. We don't know how large this church is, but we know some good things have happened. God's doing some things in the church at Philippi. And he says, grace be to you, peace from God our Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ. So he, Paul wants blessing upon them. He says grace and peace. The, the grace of God. This is, this is something, that the goodness and the, the blessings that are bestowed upon God's people from God. Not because of anything we've done or earned. It's God's goodness. God's kindness. Paul wants that grace to be upon them. And then he says grace and peace. That the peace of God comes because we've experienced the grace of God. Amen. We have experienced God's kindness and, and, and we've experienced grace in our salvation. And because of that, we are at peace with God. See, the Bible doesn't pull any punches. The Bible doesn't pull any punches. It makes it very clear. Before we're saved, we are at war with God. We are the enemy of God. We are rebels and sinners. We are those that are not welcoming the lifeboat. We are the ones that are shouting out curses at the very one that came to save us. That's us before we know Christ. But when we come to experience that saving faith in Christ, we're at peace with God. That's why we don't fear the judgment of God. That's why we can stand in God's presence, why we know one day we will stand in the presence of a holy and perfect and just God and not fear his wrath because we have peace with God through Jesus Christ is what Romans says. So that grace and peace, that's Paul's desire for them. That should be our desire for one another. 
And he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. When Paul's remembering them, his heart is joyful. His heart is thankful. I can relate to this. When I think about our church family, when I look out today, though I don't know every one of you, but I, though those that I know, my heart rejoices. When I think about you, our 930 service, when I look out and just see the people that God has saved, to see the friendships that we formed, and I truly thank God upon every remembrance of you. And this is what Paul does. Now, Paul's lonely. Paul's in prison. Paul's away. Paul's probably 800 miles away in Rome. But yet the memory of this church, he says, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. And he says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. So when Paul thinks about this church, he has joy and he prays for them. May we do the same. When God puts someone on your heart and mind, pray for them. When someone asks you to pray, like sometimes it's appropriate, pray right then. This is what Paul's doing when he's thinking of this church in Philippi. And he doesn't know all of them. He knows some of them. He's heard about many of them. His heart rejoices. His heart rejoices. And what does he do? He, he prays for them. He says, for your fellowship in the gospel or your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. What brings joy to his heart is Paul recognizes this partnership that he has with this church in ministry. See, he's not there. But man, there's some good things happening. God is at work. God is moving. God is saving. Just like the people that, that God saved to start the church of Philippi. God's continuing his work. And Paul is, has a heart of joy. Even though he's lonely. Even though he suffered. Even though circumstances aren't the best. He has joy because he recognizes this partnership in ministry. This partnership in the gospel. And that should make our heart rejoice. Amen. When we see the partnership that we have with one another to do ministry together. Uh, Brother Dave Panjwani just a few moments ago prayed for our missionaries and church planners that we support. And I say this often. That's not just something, you know, we, we put in the service as a, you know, let's fill up a, a time slot. You know, this is intentional. We think about those we're partnering with in ministry and we want to pray for them. Why? Because we rejoice with that. We rejoice with that partnership that we have in the gospel. He says from the first day up until now partnership in the gospel, ministry with one another, it's for a lifetime. Now, we may not always physically be together. Like I think about our church plant in Rock Island that our church started about a year and a half ago. I think about that partnership that we have. You know, yeah, it's Rock Island. We're not that far away. We could see each other when we want. But, you know, that, that body of believers that we sent to Rock Island to plant the church, we're not with them all the time. In fact, pa Pastor Jacob, he's there right now ministering to them and preaching and helping lead uh, worship with them today. And, and it, why? There's a, a fellowship. There's a partnership that we have with them as fellow believers. The partnership we have with one another. You know, I hope this doesn't happen. God may call you away. You might move. God may, you know, call you to another ministry, another church. Again, don't get any ideas, all right? I want you guys to stay here. But hey, if God leads you, you know, here's the thing. We have that fellowship and partnership that lasts a lifetime. And it's beautiful. It's wonderful. I think about, and, and like Paul, it brings joy when I think about all of the people that God has allowed me to come across 
in, as a, just in being a believer, and it's specifically in ministering and the partnership with the gospel. Those are friendships. Those are bonds that we have from that first day until now. It doesn't end. And Paul's, Paul's rejoicing in that. There's a quote I want to read to you from one of my favorite Bible teachers, Pastor Howard. Which, by the way, some of you guys got the email that we sent out. Pastor Howard has done a tremendous job of putting together a blog. And it's a, really, it's a commentary on the book of Philippians. So we're going to send that out to you each week. And I encourage you, read ahead. Read ahead. And it's just, it's one of those things, it's a lot of deep theology. But he just explains it in a way where it's really easy to understand and it's so applicable. So I encourage you to, you can, you can get those emails. We'll, we'll, we'll tell you how you can do that if you're not getting them. I want you to read ahead. He says, not only does Paul find joy in standing in the gap for his brothers and sisters in Christ and in praying for their needs, but he finds reason to rejoice in their mutual life in Jesus and fellowship of the work of the gospel. God did not save us and hand us the great commission, and send us out on our own. In his grace and his kindness, he placed us in his forever family, his church, so we are never alone, but deeply connected to each other. Isn't that beautiful? That's what the church is. Now, yes, the church is flawed. The church as a whole, we've got our share of problems, right? But thank God for the church. That's God's plan. What we have in common is the gospel. We have all different backgrounds, right? And just even in the founding of the church of Philippi, you see that. You know, you got all of these backgrounds, but what we have in common is our faith in the gospel. We can have different hobbies, different interests, different upbringings, di different, uh, di different statuses, different uh, wealth or lack of wealth. Right? All those things can look different, but you know what we do have in common with one another? is the gospel. We've been saved by the grace of God. This is what unites us. This is what brings us together. So if, you're, if I'm hanging out with you, you'll find real quickly, there's at least four things I could talk to you all day about. All day about. I could talk to you all day about theology, about church planning, about real estate, and about Brazilian jiu-jitsu. All right, those four things, man, I could talk all day to you. But you know what? Here's the thing. Some of you could care less about any of those things, right? Like you would rather watch paint dry than talk about those things. But why? Because that's an interest. That's, that's something I enjoy. It's not a chore and I don't have to try to drum up convert. Like, no, it just flows because those are interests of mine. Well, here's the thing. You know what our common interest is as a church? It is the gospel. It is we've been saved by the grace of God. That we as a church, we have been commissioned as a church, to go, to spread the gospel. And our backgrounds might look different. Our interests might look different. Our hobbies might look different. But, oh, and college basketball. I'll throw that one in there too, all right? Somebody can relate to that one, all right? Paul, Paul says this, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. He sees these, this church, not just as, you know, these common folk over here, not just, you know, this lower class of people, because after all, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle and a pastor. No, he says they're part, we're partners. We're, we're ministers together in the gospel. It's beautiful. It's from the first day until now. I think about not only the partnership we have with one another as a church, but I think the partnership we have with other fellow believers in other churches 
just in our area alone. It's encouraging. Now, I know the state of the church overall, it's not looking good, right? Church, church attendance has just absolutely plummeted. Like it was already going down. And then after COVID, it just, man, boom, we went off the cliff. Like it, it's not good. It's not a great state. When you look at some of the statistics, even in the quad cities from credible groups like Barner Research, like it's like, man, we're very unchurched, very unchristian. And, and we're, 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 we're rapidly moving away from, uh, from being a Christian nation. We're honestly, many say we're, a post, we're in a post-Christian era. And so I'm not belittling that. Not saying there shouldn't be a lot of concern and urgency. To be honest, I see a lot of opportunity with that. Amen. You don't have just as much of the cultural Christianity of people just going to church because it's you know the thing to do, or it's going to give them some you know it's going to going to give them a step up in 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 in, in, in or a, an advantage somehow by by the like no it really is not. I mean you look at that and just a example of that as you look at for crying out loud last weekend Easter weekend. You know, I talked to several people and they were on sports teams that were traveling out of state playing sports on the weekends. I thank God you guys are in church, even though you're traveling, playing. But look what that shows us. And again, I'm not saying that is despairingly and, and talking down in people that you know, in our culture. I'm just simply saying, like, that's just where we're at. That's just where we're at as a culture. And so. Sorry, that was off topic just a little bit, all right? But here's the point that I'm making. I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged, even though there's a lot to be disappointed and discouraged in, I'm encouraged to see what God's doing in the Quad Cities. Like, I can name you just off the top of my head, and I know there's way more than this, but I could name about 12 churches right now in the Quad Cities that are growing and thriving, that are, are bursting out at the seams, they're having to get bigger, uh, bigger buildings, the, the adding more services. Like, that is really, really encouraging. And I love seeing that. And we as a church, we're excited for those that are guests today, visitors. We have a property a little over a mile from here, double the square footage in size, and we're super excited about getting into a, a, a bigger space, and we love where we're at now, but looking forward to that. And look, a lot of good things, encouraging things are happening. What I'm simply saying is this, let's rejoice in that, amen? Let's find joy in the partnership and the fellowship that we have with like-minded believers all around us. Some really good things are happening in the Quad Cities. Now, that being said, there's also a lot of churches that aren't preaching the gospel. There's also a lot of people that have caved in to the culture. They have unfortunately allowed what is relevant and popular and what culture is, the agenda that culture is pushing, they have allowed that to be the lens that they look at scripture. Instead of taking our beliefs and our theology, taking what we believe and getting it from God's word and letting this be the foundation, letting this be the unwavering truth that will never change. Amen. So let's, let's make sure we understand that difference. There's a lot of people, no, we're, we're not partners in the gospel because they're preaching a gospel that's their own gospel. It's another gospel. It's a false gospel. It's a false Jesus that doesn't exist and therefore can't save them because it's not the Jesus that we see in scripture. But on the other hand, let's not get the Elijah syndrome. Remember the prophet Elijah? God, I'm the only one, you know, and, and it was a discouraging time for him. You know, you'd just seen God bring fire down from heaven and then he got really discouraged. Like, God, nobody else out there's left. 
It's just me. And sometimes, like, I, like I, I talk to pastors, they get that mentality. You know, like, they think they're the only one doing anything, right? No one else is doing what we're doing. You know, and I don't want that mentality. Because there's so many good ministries and churches all around us. And by the way, even a lot, we don't even know about. And even in our area, that God, they're just slugging away for God. And God's using them in a great and powerful way. And let's rejoice in the fellowship in the gospel. This is what unites us. This is what brought joy to Paul's heart. He says, always in every prayer of mine, I'm making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident. Here's what else is bringing joy. He's confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He says, God who started that work in you, church, he's going to be faithful to complete that work. In other words, what brought joy to Paul is knowing God wasn't done with this church at Philippi. God wasn't done with him. That God starts a work in us when he saves us. And God's going to be faithful to complete that work in us. And maybe today, honestly, like you're, you're at a discouraging place in your life. You're at a, a discouraging place because maybe you feel stagnant. Maybe you just feel like you're at a place where you're not seeing a lot of growth. Maybe it seems like the Holy Spirit's not just moving in your heart like he once was. Maybe it's because of trials that God's brought into your life. And those trials can and should, they will draw us close to God. But there's also times during those trials that we can become really discouraged. And we can wonder how long is this going to last? And it can be discouraging. And we can wonder what is God doing? And, and I know many of you, you're there right now. And, and I'm there right now in some areas of just, I don't know what God's doing. I don't understand what God's doing. I don't want to walk through this, this road. I don't want to go down this path. But yet I know this, that God who started the work in us, he's going to be faithful to complete his work in us. In other words, God's not done with us. And, and I speak a word of encouragement to you today. God isn't done with you. If you are saved, if you're a child of God, God started that work in you. Now, maybe, honestly, you don't, you've not experienced any change in your life, and you're not experiencing really any growth at all, and you have it because you're not a true believer in Christ. And we want to see you come to faith, a genuine faith in Christ, and trust in Him as your Lord and Savior. Today, turn to Him, repent of your sin, put your faith in Christ. But for some of you, you've been a believer. Maybe you've been a believer for quite a while, but maybe you're at a discouraging time. Maybe you're at a downtime. Maybe you just feel stagnant. Maybe it's a painful time. And what I'm proposing is this. You might be in that renovation phase and it hurts because God in his work in you and through you, he's purging things out of your life. He's removing things out of your life. And he's taken some things away. And you guys know that who've, who've done projects like you know, maybe it's a major house renovation or it's what we're currently doing as a church at our, at our other building. And some of you guys have seen that. And it's like, hey, after two days of work, two work days, things look way worse than they did before. Like, this isn't how it should be. Well, no, we understand the renovation can be painful. You're tearing stuff out. Why? Because it's going to be rebuilt. It's going to be redone. 
You know, and sometimes that's hard to see. My wife's great at this. I'm not. But she can walk through a property and see something and have vision for it and see the finished project. I, that's not me. Like, I need, I need some kind of drawing. I need a picture. I need to see because I don't see how this is going to, you know, my, my, my question is, okay, is this project, what's the dollar sign on this project? Is this going to end up making me money? Like, is it, what? but a lot of times I can't see the finished work. I can't, I don't have that vision to see that. And you know what? God, God not only is the master builder, the master rebuilder of our lives, he has unlimited resources. You know, we're finding out even with this property, like, oh man, there's a lot of things we want to do. But you know what? Stuff's just obscenely expensive to do. So you got to prioritize. Okay. Um, that, that, that bid was quite shocking. You know, even being prepared for it to be shocking. And it's still shocking, right? We, we've experienced that and know what that's like, especially now, you know, where just stuff's expensive. This economy that we're in, it's just crazy. We have limited resources. So we have to kind of make choices. Okay, this is phase one and this is phase two. This makes sense to do now. These things can, these things can wait. This is a want. This is a must have. Why? Because we have limited resources. But God, our father, who is building our lives, who is working in us, has unlimited resources. And he will be faithful. He will come. Make no mistake. God will complete his work in you. He will complete his work in me. And it's hard to see now for some of you because it's at it's that painful process. God's removing things. And it seems like, man, we're going backwards, not forward. But rest assured, have confidence in this very thing that he, which began a good work in you, will perform it. He will complete it. Until the day of Jesus Christ. Don't make a judgment too soon. Maybe others have made a judgment too soon on you. But God's not done with you. It might seem like a really low valley right now. It might seem like a really painful journey. But God's not done. I said this a few weeks ago. Look, when we're in heaven, no one, look, no one in heaven, no one is going to be sitting off in a corner somewhere, scratching their head, not getting it. Right? We're all going to get it. We're all going to see God's beautiful plan, design. We're going to understand it then. But man, it's the bumps in the roads now. It's the twists and the turns. It's the tragedy. It's the things that you, you look at and you think of maybe even your own doing or my own doing of dumb choices we've made. Maybe it's the choices other people have made that have put you in that spot. Maybe it's not really even bad choices anybody's made. It's just things God's brought into your life. And those are the things that are hard to wrestle through. Those are the things that are hard to grasp. That's when it's hard to have confidence that he who began the work in you will be faithful to complete that work. Don't make a judgment too soon. This is the renovation phase, maybe. Maybe for some of you, you're past that. You might hit it again, right? But maybe now you're starting to see and piece together and understand. That's why God brought that in my life. That's why God, maybe that's where you're at. Encourage other people. Encourage, be a Paul. Be a Paul in someone's life. 
and encourage them. Hey, I know you're going through a lot right now. I know it doesn't make sense. I know it's a down time. It's a, maybe a pruning time. Maybe it's a discouraging time. But be confident. God will complete his work in you. And ultimately, we long for that day. But in the meantime, we trust. In the meantime, we press on. In the meantime, we have faith. We have confidence that God will complete his work in us. He who began the work in you will be faithful to complete it in you. Wanted to get further, but I stopped there in the first service, so I better stop there in this service. Even though we're not in a rush, this service, but maybe you are. You're hungry, right? Let's go ahead and end there. But I encourage you with these thoughts, with these truths, God is not done with you. God will perform his work in you and in me because he is faithful. Let's pray.